0: Hello, and welcome to Reed Scholars Live. I'm your host and current president of Reed Scholars, Mary Fleming. And just to remind you, Read Scholars is an organization composed of physicians, dentists, and mental health specialists committed to collective action around achieving health equity. Our podcast is a platform to have conversations with health equity leaders and experts around uh, different solutions and innovative ideas um, to help na- narrow the gap to achieve or narrow the gap uh, between health equity, around health equity in this country. So with that being said, let's talk health equity. Today's guest is fellow REIT scholar, Dr. Sanjeev Sh- Sh- Shirom. Uh, Sanjeev is currently a pediatrician in DC as part of the Children's National Network. He completed his medical training at UCLA before completing the Commonwealth Fund Fellowship in Minority Health Policy in 2009. Since the fellowship, Sanjeev has been very active advocating for health equity as a contributor to the Huffington Post, as a host of his own podcast, Dr. America, on Act Radio, and spending a lot of time giving us food for thought um, on social media via Twitter and Facebook. Sanjeev does not shy away from the controversial tough topics and discussing current events and health as it relates to policy, economics, race, and equity. Um, I encourage you all to check out the, his podcast episodes from the past as well as follow him on social media to help continue that conversation. So with that being said, let's talk health equity. Um, Sanjeev, did I? Get oh that yeah, right? that was, did I mess oh, up was, anything? No, <laughs> not at all.
1: not at all. That was great. Thank you.
0: Um, Anything you'd like to add, any updates, anything that you've been working on recently that you want to share with us?
1: Yeah, so my uh, most exciting development is I am uh, working over at Social Security Works, where I was uh, brought on as a senior policy advisor on um, issues surrounding Medicaid. And then as uh, the team over there and a lot of our coalition partners got to know um, about my work on racial equity, uh, I um, I got to spearhead and I'm still leading this campaign called All Means All. It's about making mm-hmm. racial equity a cornerstone of the Medicare for All movement and of the policy as it gets um, designed and implemented. Um, we just launched this year, so it's still pretty fresh. And it's, uh, it's offering a very interesting and new perspective uh, about Medicare for All, um, both to uh, veterans of the movement and to newcomers so really excited about that
0: oh that's very exciting so we will we will stay tuned and see how that develops over the upcoming year and, and going on to the future um and and you know in reviewing you know your bio and all the things that you've done um I would like to step back just a second mm-hmm. and I always like our listeners to know how do you enter the health equity space like why is this important how did you know, what motivates you, what gets you excited about it, and especially um, a little bit more specifically about the Dr. America persona uh, and how that has helped ease the conversation um, around health equity when you enter different spaces. So um, tell us more about
1: that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I did my med school and residency training at UCLA and my uh, continuity clinic. So like that is the clinic that you go to once a week, every week, when you're in um, pediatrics residency. Um, my clinic was in uh, West LA, kind of in South Santa Monica. Um, for people who don't know, that community is predominantly um, Mexican-American, uh, a mix of, um, of immigrants and people who were born um, in that community and everybody who's kind of in between. So a lot of um, mixed status families where Uh, mom might be an immigrant, uh, dad might be somebody who was born here, their kids were kind of born on either side of the border. Um, And so, you know, I was very rooted in um, minority health uh, from the beginning of my training. And then uh, when, you know, as I was going through residency, I kind of uh, got more involved with policy just because in California, uh there's ballot initiatives every year and some of those ballot initiatives have a major impact on health and so i thought it was important for my fellow pediatricians to know what the health impacts were of voting one way or the other and um, so with the local uh, american academy of pediatrics chapter um, a couple of residents and i put together voter guides um, for the elections um, during the time that we were in residency And uh, that was kind of like my first entry into like, you know, policy and how does policy impact the communities that I was taking care of. And from there, I went to the Commonwealth Fund Fellowship. And after that, I moved to D.C. to work on the Affordable Care Act. And, you know, it's it's interesting when you're like fresh to, um, you know, coalition work in D.C., Um, I felt it was important. I was with the National Physicians Alliance and I was doing a lot of their communications work and you show up at these Mm -hmm. coalition meetings and you get to see a lot of cool, very progressive talk about health reform. Um, And it was brand new, like, you know, like we were coming out of like, you know, the Bush presidency and like the economy was suffering. And so people had all kinds of different ideas, but I felt like minority health disparities was not getting um, enough attention. And when I would raise my hand, you know, to say, like, hey, what about this, like, you know, the provisions for in the ACA looked pretty good, but I wanted to see just some more emphasis. Um, you know, a lot of the coalition partners would say, like, oh, you know, don't worry about that. You know, a rising tide lifts all ships. Um, you know, this is going to be. <laughs> yeah. And but the thing is, like, you know, I'm like fresh out of a you know policy fellowship. I'm new to D.C. These people are all, you know, seasoned and experienced. So I kind of just took that as like okay like I'm gonna I'll I'll learn from you all like you know I you know (laughs) like I'm glad I asked my question but like you know um and then you know you fast forward a little bit and yeah the ACA is like you know it gets um passed it gets you know it the first year of implementation is kind of shaky but it's doing a decent job of decreasing um some of the minority health disparities in coverage and um, and that's largely because of Medicaid expansion. And so I um, was really vocalizing the importance and value of Medicaid in, I think, a lot of ways that doctors shy away from, because, you know, a lot of doctors either are not familiar with the importance of Medicaid, or they kind of just begrudgingly accept it. Whereas I kind of felt like, let's get out there with a the megaphone and rally for Medicaid. And um and I think that that was valuable to a lot of uh, anti-poverty movements at the time. And so I got more involved with that kind of work uh, during the Obama administration. Um, and, you know, the the way that Dr. America kind of came up was, uh, it was interesting. Like, you know, I, I was kind of uh, plateauing um, in my clinical work. Like, I kind of felt like I was looking at the advocacy that was going around Uh, the pediatric space and at the hospital. And I was like, okay, like, you know, this is good. I get where, you know, you're trying to build some skills for some new advocates, but I wanted something that was kind of like bold and like, you know, to kind of go to, you know, those spaces that people had been kind of, um, avoiding out of politeness. And I really felt like, you know, racial equity was something that needed to be discussed more. And, um, I wasn't really finding enough, uh, of support in the in the physician space for that kind of conversation, or at least for the kinds of advocacy that kind of like was, you know, kind of bordering more with activism. And so um, I, you know, turned to one of my friends who I had met through the ACA coalition work, and he had a radio station called Act Radio. And I was telling Alex, like, you know what, man, like, you know, I, I mean, I love your radio station, if any of your programs need help writing you know health policies copy or if they want to you know talk about race and equity and minority health like i'm your dude i can totally help write up this stuff and i really was envisioning something very kind of like behind the scenes because i didn't know anything about radio i was like (laughs) what do i know about radio but i do know how to like take you know policy stuff and make it easier to understand right so you know, Alex looks at me and he's like, dude, you've got a show. Like, that's a show. You should do that as, like, your own thing. And I'm like, man, I don't know anything about radio. Like, what am I gonna, like, you know, he's like, dude, nobody knows anything about radio. Dumb people get on the radio all the time. Like, you're not dumb. Like, you'll be fine. Like, just come up with something cool that's, like, personal you and, you know, we're, we're gonna do this. It's gonna be a good show. And so I'm a comic book nerd. And, um, you know, a couple of my friends, uh, when I was, like, kind of, like, kicking around names for the show and stuff they were like why don't you lean into your comic book nerd nerd stuff and that's how like you know captain america i reappropriated it for doctor america and um and then that kind of became an activist persona too because i would wear i I wear like a captain america t-shirt with my white coat over it and um, in recent years it's been a really helpful persona and kind of um a path forward because when you go into coalition spaces where you're working with communities of um, disabled people and um, people with like you know varying levels of education and income um it you get to when you when they just see you show up one they're glad that a white coat showed up for you know talking about health because not enough physicians really do activism that's true um and then when they see a guy with a you know, Captain America T-shirt on under his white coat, um, that's a it's a, it's an approachable person, you know. Like I mean, like clearly this person isn't taking himself too seriously. He's serious enough to be here, but not so serious that we can't you know work with him. And um, and so it's been a great experience. Like you know, during the Trump regime years, it's been good to kind of join protests and rallies and um, and other kind of uh, movement work and, you know, be in those spaces where you're, um, you're really like, you know, standing up for uh, justice in ways that I think are a bit more bold, a bit more daring, but are really necessary for the public to know that, hey, like, you know, doctors and on the ground people and everyday folks are coming together. Like, you know, this is what like solidarity looks like. And that's been really exciting. I've been really uh, enjoying that and learning so much from it. I feel like um, it's been a, its own education um, these last uh, three years. And um, I'm re- I've been really grateful for it. And I really hope more doctors venture into that space because I think it's, um, it's a valuable learning experience. Like in, in a lot of weird ways, it makes you a better doctor. And um, I've really enjoyed it. And you know, as hard as the work is, I mean, it's really, really enjoyable and fulfilling.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I love it. I, I think it's, uh, I think it's a fascinating concept, as you said, to bring in, you know, part of your personality um, with something that's so important. And it's, it's a great icebreaker, you know, even when you're entering these spaces to, before you even get to the nitty-gritty of the conversation. Um, to have something else to kind of talk about, and and I agree. I remember when I was um, first starting out outside of Philadelphia, and I was on some committees, task force, if you will, um, in the community through the local health department, and and I, you know, I was nervous about being there and about you know making sure I was doing a good job, and somebody said, we're just glad you showed up. And like you said, yeah. so many times, you know, physicians are not out in the community space and um, really understanding what's going on on, on, on the day to day issues on the community level. And so uh, sometimes, it, you know, like you said, sometimes you just have to show up and, and go from there. So uh, we appreciate that you you took that leap. And I mean, I think you're doing um, a great job in in trying to, to both um, tackle these tough uh, conversations, but also in a way that's really useful um, and understandable to a broad range of Americans. So um, I think we definitely appreciate that. And, you know, kind of transitioning back to today, um, you know, and and we've got a lot going on in in the political comment and and talking about um, health policy and how it, it affects health equity. And you kind of gave us um, one example already, but, you know, are there any other, um, examples of just to give context of a current health policy, um, and, and how, um, we interpret it or interact with it, if you will, uh, will impact health equity on a broader span. So, um, you know, kind of going back to your examples, like, oh, uh, you know, if we, if we pull everybody up together, um, is is true, and that is a true statement. You know, if you you help the weakest part of the most vulnerable part of the population, you will indeed help everybody together. Right. Um, right, But if we don't identify the vulnerable populations, right. then we can't help those. So, um, can you tease that out a little bit and talk to us? Yeah,
1: definitely. So, like you know, to me, like you know, I mean, I'm one of those Medicare for All activists who still is a fanboy of um, the ACA, and especially because of Medicaid expansion, right and to me, like the Medicaid expansion under the ACA is the greatest extension of health justice to, um, you know, I mean, to minority communities since the passage, the original passage of Medicare and Medicaid in 1960s. And the reason why I say that is because, like, you know, before the ACA got passed, you had a very heavy disproportionate burden of being uninsured fall on minority communities, particularly... African Americans and Latinx uh, communities, and then with the ACA and with Medicaid expansion, um, you start to see some significant improvement in coverage. But where that, but that's kind of like where, like a lot to me of like a lot of the positive story ends because not every state adopted Medicaid coverage, and in states that did not, um, when you look at the African American community, you know, um, African Americans are twice as likely to be uninsured as white Americans in states that refuse to expand Medicaid and um, and so you know this many years out from the passage of the ACA we're in a situation where you've got 28 million people who are uninsured and 59% of them are people of color. So as much as America talks about like oh we're going to be majority minority in 2040 The truth is is that like america's uninsured are already there like america's uninsured are majority minority right now and i um i bring a lot of this to the medicare for all movement because um, historically the single-payer movement has been um predominantly led by uh, white professionals talking to other white professionals about the academic and you know um other value of Medicare for all or single payer, which isn't necessarily wrong. It's just that it's not entirely relevant to the communities that I've been taking care of and the communities that have, you know, made me a good doctor. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's been interesting to kind of bridge that gap and help a lot of, um, you know, Medicare for all activists understand that there's a huge racial justice component to, um, to single payer, if you were to, actually center things on, um, the minority health experience.
0: Yeah. And I've, I, and I think when we start having those conversations, um, a lot of times there was so much pushback around the words and not actually yeah. the concept. Right. And yeah. so, um, it, 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 it is interesting kind of to negotiate, um, that space. And so I do, you know, I, I think like you said, we kinda have to keep pushing it because at, at yes, we've gotten so much better, right? You know, hands down you, you can tell that the um, you know, even on a on a person to person on a clinician level, you can tell that there's difference in the the, the uh, number of patients that are being seen and the access that they were being had, but there's still such a big gap. Um in And if we don't address it at some point, then it's just going to, like you said, it's just going to continue to widen um, as the population continues to evolve. And so,
1: I mean, and a big part of that is because I think that you know we and and this especially is frustrating when you look at the current Democrat primary politics, right? Of we don't like there is not enough talk about why are the uninsured uninsured. You know, like, I mean, it, it's like, I think the numbers get thrown around and, you know, it's this many million people and all of that. But when you look at, like, why is that happening? And what it is, is that, you know, when you really, like, look down at the, at, like, who is, not look down, but when you look at who is uninsured and why, it's that they are working at jobs that do not provide benefits. So it's like, we are, we are seeing a a um, erosion of the myth that if you work really hard and get a, you know, and get a job, you're going to get healthcare. That's simply not true. Like you can, there are, there's so much work getting done in this country by so many people working multiple jobs with no benefits. And so that's one element of it. And then another one is that a lot of people move from job to job, like you know, and you can end up in in job spaces where, for instance, just the recent um, strike against GM, there were people who were categorized as temporary workers, despite the fact that they had worked there for four years. Wow. Like, what kind of work is like, you know, like I mean, that's just nuts that you can have a job at a major corporation think that okay, like I'm gonna get set, like you know, the pay is pretty good. But then you find out that you're being categorized as a temporary worker and because of that you're not going to get you're not going to qualify for benefits but the nature of the work is such that you have so many like you can't go and find another job with benefits because this job has you know time constraints and you know like it's physically demanding and so you know so many people are in these spaces right of like moving from job to job state to state and just going through different phases of life. Like, you know, you have like one kind of health coverage when you're a student, you graduate, you know, I mean, getting a first job is kind of rough. And so, you know, benefits don't kick in for a few months. All of those kinds of phases of life happen to all of us, right? But, you know, for a lot of wealthier white and some Asian communities, you have wealth to fall back on, you know, you're going to qualify for like, being under your parents insurance, because your parents are not uninsured, you can be under their health plan for a little while you might have like you might just by virtue of being wealthy you might be healthier but when it comes to a lot of our minority communities you know it's like you don't have that much to fall back on like you know it's a it's a lot harder to you know get that leg up on the on the um, socioeconomic ladder just because you know like that's just not the way opportunities work anymore and so I think that if people had a better understanding of why folks are underinsured, they would understand that what we've got, the status quo in the current system is simply not going to be sustainable for people.
0: And that's the, I mean and I think there's a couple of things I was going to say. One, um, you know our, our as a as a people, not just as Americans. I mean, we're just so much more mobile uh, these days. And so the plans that were historically set for, you know, insu- and employed based, state based, even plans are not applicable for a lot of people anymore. And it's in yep. those gaps in insurance. And like you said, when you don't have that margin, you don't have that cushion, um, you know, and, and a and a relatively, you know, large hospital bill can really tip you over the, head, the edge. And so um, I, th- I I agree. I think those are the things that we don't often talk about. Um, And even, you know, the, those who are insured, but it's still inaccessible, you know, with the Mm -hmm. large deductibles and the, oh yeah, the, the premiums are getting (laughs) more and more, um, uh, yeah, Kaiser
1: Family Foundation found that 53% of people with employer sponsored insurance who have deductibles that are, um, over $1,000, um, 53% of people with those in ki- those kinds of employer-sponsored insurance plans are not going to the doctor for necessary medical right. care. They're uh, they're scared of the um, co-pays, the deductibles, and all of the out-of-pocket costs. And so these are insured people avoiding healthcare that they have earned as a benefit. Right. I'm like, that this makes no sense, right. you know?
0: Um, well, and kind of with that being said, that kind of leads into the next thing I was going to talk about. So we talked about, you know, we touched on that. There's an election coming up, right. Um, Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out, you know, for day to day, when you're trying, we're trying to figure out which candidate is the best candidate for you. And there, you know, I think everybody has their pros and cons. Um, and I think everybody should vote according to their personal, you know, interests and the interests of their families and communities and all of that. But my question is how do we, Decipher, Because like you said, in the in a lot of the debates that have been happening so far, for me as an individual, I feel like there's a lot of um, bickering, for lack of a better word, yeah, and yeah, not a lot yeah. of actual discussion on issues yeah. that would help you make a decision. So, I mean, have you seen anything with the candidates that we have been, um, um, you know, I mean, we could talk a little bit about what, you know, the, the policies that are already in in fact now but are you know if as if people if people are trying to make a decision do you see anybody who's actually expressing um some really good information or or giving us good information on how to choose a candidate based on
1: yeah so um so full disclosure, I'm a national surrogate for the Bernie Sanders campaign. So I've, I've made my choice. Yes. And <laughs> you know, like I am, uh, I am out there, like, you know, getting, trying to get people to feel the burn and everything. But, um, but I, but, you know, I, I feel and recognize the spirit of the question. Right, right. And, you know, like, I mean, so how do you get, like, you, I can, I can tell people, like, how did I come to the place that I came to, right? Like how did I end up choosing that Bernie? Works. Um. I can I can say that what one that like I appreciate that Bernie has never like for all the years that he has been in politics the man has never been bought he has never and he is like he will compromise to the political climate of the time but he he is not going to bend from the pressure of lobbyists and things like that and so what I mean by all that is that like you know he's been talking single payer for 40 years right And yet, when the Affordable Care Act is a bill in front of him, and it's clearly not single payer, he doesn't dig his heels in the mud and say, no, I'm not going to support it. It's not what I want. He's instead saying like, okay, cool, like, you know, like, let's go with this because, you know, we've got forward momentum and I'm not the kind of person who's going to stop people from getting the kind of support that they need right now. Um, you know, he, I mean, is the kind of guy that, like, when he sees good ideas, he will support them and every now and then also offer ways of making those good ideas even better. Um, and so that's just him as a senator, you know, and, I, and I've really come to respect that. And his staff is very much like that. I feel like his staff represents the kind of governance that most of us wish our members of Congress or that our um, even our administrations would be like, where you call them up and you describe a problem, they are in troubleshooting mode immediately. And they hold themselves accountable. They want to demonstrate compassion and competence with problem solving. And to me, I feel like there's a lot to be said for a leader who brings in people like that because when he's president, he's going to bring in like I mean, you have to like, imagine what it's like for an entire cabinet, like a president's cabinet to function like that. Like when you've got like a secretary of health and human services who prioritizes compassion and competence, you know, that that's going to be transformative for this country. Um, And so his work ethic, you know, behind the scenes, I think is immensely powerful. And I don't think that people talk about that enough. And he's not really the kind of person who's going to brag about it. So, it's it's really tough because if you don't directly experience it it's it's um it's very invisible because it's very humble um hard work um you know as far as like the broader field of the current um you know range of candidates i feel like Bernie has never required, you know, questions of clarification. Like, what do you mean when you say Medicare for all? Like, he's like, I mean, all like what part of <laughs> right. all are you not quite catching on to? I can, you know, and then he like, he'll say, like I can list all for you. Like all includes, you know, every man, woman and child all means every undocumented citizen all means every transgender person. Like he'll tell you, like, he'll clarify all if you want like clarification on that, but he's never been the kind of person who, you know, has to, like, he's never waffled. And so he's never had to, like, you know, really explain to people like, oh, well, this is what I meant when I said that. And this is what I mean now, like, no, you've never seen him do that, you know. Um, And then I think my last point about Bernie that, you know, really made me choose him is that, yes, Medicare for all is his number one health policy, right. But as you know, as a doctor, and as a public health person, I know that coverage is not everything like what else is out there that you know are you doing to help my patients like not just survive but actually thrive and he is thinking about all of those other social determinants of health in a very robust manner where he knows you need to like you can't live in a food desert and have medicare for all and think that you're going to be healthy he wants every kid in america to not stress about where is their next meal going to come from like he's got like a plans in place to end hunger, you know, like when it comes to affordable housing, it's like, okay, like everybody like homelessness is going to be on the way out with the Bernie administration, Um, you know, with like jobs, like he recognizes like, yeah, you might have to move from job to job because that's just the nature of work these days, but your job should be a place of dignity. You should not be getting exploited. You should be getting paid properly. You should be able to build solidarity with coworkers so that you can, you know, argue and fight for better working conditions or better pay or, you know, be part of the uh, of the profits that you were contributing your productivity to. Um, These are all things that like are not discussed like health policies, like, you know, workers' rights is considered, you know, economic policy or worker policy. Housing is kind of like siloed away from health. But as somebody who cares about like and who has watched patients, right, like you've been in this place, too, where like you've seen like how like a bad housing situation can totally mess up and undermine all the work that you've been doing in clinic, you know, similarly with joblessness. So it's like the fact that he's got like this holistic, I mean, you know, like I think very layered view of humanity and then is like ready to customize it to all of the the different communities of America. I I just find that vision inspiring. And that's something that I'm willing to fight for, you know? And I think that he is not like a cult of personality that says that I'm going to be the one, like, he's not a demagogue. Like he's going to say, like, (laughs) I'm the one to do this for everyone. He's, he's saying like, you know, his campaign is not me, us. And it's like, he's making it very clear that like, it's going to take all of us putting in a ton of hard work. Like none of this is easy. And we're going to face a ton of obstacles along the way, but we've got each other. And I find that like just so inspiring. And it makes me want to, you know, like hustle and grind for the guy um, in ways that I don't know whether other candidates do that for me. Like, I think a lot of other candidates have like that classic mentality of like, I'm the one with the great ideas. And if you vote for me, you will see my great ideas come to light. And it's sort of like, okay, like, that is very classic political trope, but like when it comes to transform, like, you know, really transformative work, I feel Bernie gets what's needed and is not shy about saying like, Hey, this is like sweaty, dirty, difficult stuff, but you know, we've got each other and we can do
0: it. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think, um, I personally don't have any uh affiliation. So I, I appreciate understanding how you um, kind of got to that point. And I think it's important for those listening that, you know, when you're looking at your candidate, when you're trying to decide, you know, those are some, some issues or some characteristics is probably a better word um, that you can look and see, is, is, is this candidate really um, talking about things that are really going to affect my everyday life? and i think your other point is very true and that we talk about health and insurance and and hospitals but you know most of us know that most of the things that affect our our health and our longevity and our well-being is all, it's outside of you know the the one-on-one medical, medical interaction in the healthcare system. And so, you know, if we don't have these other policies in place um, to make sure <clears throat> our, you know, our air is clean and we have access to food yeah. and we can get back and forth to work and we have jobs and um, that type of thing, then, you know, some, you know, part of these other conversations are moot. But kind of kind of with that, and, and I, I guess kind of as we wrap up and close out, um, you know, I kind of wanted to ask you what, you know what innovations do you see, or do you forecast changing the landscape of health equity going forward? I mean, I think we spent a lot of time talking about, um, you know, your thoughts on Medicare for All, and and I mean that would would be a huge uh, change. <laughs> um, yeah. and, you know, I, I I guess we would have to he- hesitate to call it an innovation, right? Because it's been around for a long time, and <laughs> lots of other countries are <laughs> already uh, on board. So, right. it, it probably isn't an innovation, if you will. It would be different for us, but. Um, you know, any any I always try to end with a little optimism. So what do you think is, yeah. is coming and what are you hopeful for? I mean,
1: to me, like I, I think the things that I'm most hopeful for, right, are because like you know, right now with Medicare for all there's like so much talk about, you know, how much is it gonna cost and how are you gonna pay for it? And I'm like, there's a great buffet of options for how to pay for it and I think you can make a pretty damn good plate from any of those options and nobody could really fault you for picking a little bit of this and a little bit of that and put together your plate. And it's a good meal. Like you can really, you know, do quite well financing wise. Um, To me, the better questions are, how are you going to redistribute all these savings? Mm. You know, like when the average doc is not, you know, wasting three weeks of every work year on paperwork and haggling with insurance companies, what does that doctor do with their time? Do they see more patients? Do they, you know, sharpen their skills? Do they um, take more time with their family to avoid burnout? Um, You know, and like, that's just doctors. Um, When it comes to like our, you know, the communities that we love and care for, um, you know, I I point to a very small but very significant fact that happened with uh, the Children's Health Insurance Program back in the late 90s. Um, when parents saw that their kids were going to be covered and that the coverage was going to be reliable, stable, you know, the kids are going to be fine. Parents looked at their own work and was like, okay, so I don't need to stay in this crappy job for the coverage mm-hmm. for my kids because my kids are going to be okay. Let me take a step back and I'm going to bet on me. I'm gonna invest in myself. I'm gonna take a risk and get out there. and you've found like this little there's like an economic report which I need to dig up and reread, but what it showed was that there was this little blip of entrepreneurship that started among parents where parents were betting on themselves and starting small businesses and you know pursuing their dreams. And I'm like, with Medicare for all, like how many people would bet on themselves? like how many communities would look at their own? and feel like, you know what, we're not under this boot anymore. Like, we're not like constantly afraid of like, what's the next medical emergency? How do we like, how do we like take that? You know, like that, like, when you take anxiety like that out of the mm-hmm. picture, what do people do with their potential? And I'm excited for that. I think like, that's just awesome. Like the, you know, that there are people who would, you know, build businesses that there are artists who are doing like lame jobs somewhere just for health coverage who would actually get back into creating art like I mean that would just be awesome like I feel like there's so many different things that people would be doing with their lives that would strengthen themselves that would make their communities better that um, and I, I don't know how you account for that in spreadsheets mm, right. you know like that's not something that like I can put like a congressional budget office score on like, that's not like, you know, that's not the way that we usually talk about healthcare, but like, that is a real human experience that like, I mean, that just gets me jazzed up, you know, like I get pumped thinking about that and it makes me want to fight for stuff like Medicare for all.
0: I, I, I like it. I do think that is ending with a very high note of optimism. And I mean, I, you can't argue with that. When you take that level of anxiety, um, you know, that burden off your shoulders, if you will, that does open up the possibilities of, um, you know, being a better, having more potential as a, as a human being, whenever that looks like for mm-hmm. you. So um, I, 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 I like it. I think that is a great way to close out our our podcast session for today. Um, so thank you so much, Sanji, for joining us. I appreciate Uh, all the insight that you've given us today. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to share with us your social media handles so people can follow you and see, um, you know, see what you have to say and share with us um, going forward.
1: Yeah. So on Facebook, I'm facebook.com slash Dr. America show. That's D R and then America show on uh, Twitter. um, It's Dr. Sriram D R S R I R A M. And on Instagram, uh, which I need to get better about, but um, (laughs) I'm new to it, I'm new to it, you know, it's like, it's very visual, but anyway, (laughs) uh, my Instagram handle is um, uh, dramerica underscore all means all.
0: I like it. All right, well, thank you again. And uh, we look forward to seeing what else you have in store for us in the future.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.